0: Well, Paul's emphasis in the last part of the book of Galatians has been on freedom. Uh, The freedom that all Christians get to experience uh, in Christ when they are no longer underneath the burden of constantly trying to be good enough to be accepted by God. Uh, The type of freedom that we feel when we realize that we're accepted by God, not based on what we do or what we've tried to do, but rather we're accepted based on what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. That's freedom. And uh, what Paul has said is, is, is once we feel and experience that type of freedom and security in God, that he's not going to whisk us away or throw us away or break up with us uh, in, in some way because of something we have done or not done, then the only thing left for us to do instead of fighting for the relationship to keep the relationship, the only thing left is for us to enjoy the relationship with Jesus Christ. And then he told us, though, he says, but this, as good as this um, freedom is, it's really vulnerable. Uh, He showed in chapter 5 and verse 1, he said it's vulnerable because there is an ever-present tendency uh, for you and I to fall back into legalism. Uh, That is, yeah, we can say that we're saved by grace through faith and praise God for that, but oftentimes on the day-to-day, you and I begin to doubt uh, if God's going to accept us, so we go back to that whole legalistic thing saying, I need to do all of these things for God to be able to accept me ultimately. He says, so that's a danger. Uh, The other danger really is, we saw this last week in chapter 5 and verse 13, is that you and I would take advantage of the freedom that we have and use it as an opportunity to sin here's the thought the thought would be hey if God's going to accept us if God's going to receive us if God's going to save us and he promises to never let us go then I'm just going to do whatever it is that I want live the whatever way I want it doesn't matter if I obey God or not and what Paul said at the end of last uh, the last passage that we studied he said this that's not what Christian freedom looks like if you truly live in Christian freedom, no longer being underneath this, this constant stress of trying to be good enough before God, it's not going to result in you living in more legalism and you uh, ultimately sinning more. He said, here's how it looks when that's lived out. When you truly live free from the law, it will result in you lovingly serving each other. He says, that's what it looks like. Now, I don't know about you, but that's hard to do. All right, and that's hard to do. It's hard for me to consider others as more important than myself. It's hard, for, doesn't it doesn't come natural for me to, to look after the interests of others. I prefer to kind of look after my own interests. Uh, it's hard to be selflessly serving other people. It's easy to selfishly be serving myself. Can I have an amen? All right, I don't know if you're supposed to amen that, but, uh, 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 but that's how we feel. It's, it, one's easy, one's hard. So what, here's what Paul's gonna do he's going to go, okay, if you want to walk in this freedom and and what you want in this freedom is you ultimately want to to demonstrate it by loving other people, use the freedom to love other people by serving them, then there's something you're going to have to do. And here's his answer. He goes, you're going to have to learn to walk by the Spirit. You have to walk by the Spirit. Now, let let me say something. When I say that, I understand what's going on in your minds. You're like, what's that? I don't know what that is. Okay, walk by the Spirit. All my life, I've heard people say, hey, bro, you just need to walk by the Spirit, quit walking by the flesh. And you're like, "Ah, okay, I don't know what that means. Okay, whatever. So what we're going to do is Paul's going to kind of get into this and explain to us a little bit uh, of what this means uh, uh, for us to to, to walk by the Spirit. He's going to give us three different kind of ideas of what that's like. And then at the end, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wrap it up with some very practical application. Now, it's kind of humorous what I'm about to do, uh, because I'm going to give you some things to do, which is interesting because this whole time for months we've been reading about a book that says that you don't have to do right what a way to do it hey live by grace here's some things you have to do kind of seems strange but i'll explain it at the end so what are the things that paul is saying about uh, this this freedom that we have this this walking by a gray, or wa- walking by the spirit what does that look like and he says first of all he says that when we walk by the spirit we have to recognize that there is a struggle within us there's a struggle within us look at verse 16. He says, but I say walk by the Spirit. Now, let me explain what that means. When he says walk, he he means to live. Old Testament, New Testament, you read the word walk. It's representative of the way in which somebody ultimately lives their life. And we are to live our life by the Spirit. Not the Spirit in you and I, but the Holy Spirit is what he's referring to. So, Here's what it means to walk by the Spirit. It means to every day, every moment of our lives, forever from now into eternity, be in a place of constantly submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to the leading of the Holy Spirit, okay? That's what it means, okay? And he says, and if you do that, He goes, you're not going to seek to gratify the desires of the flesh. So the only way for you and I to become a true servant of one another is to submit ourselves consistently to the Holy Spirit and not to submit ourselves back to these fleshly desires. And so, now notice what he says. There's a problem, though. There's a challenge to this. He says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the thing that you want to do. Now, last week I said that when God saves us, he changes us. He literally creates and gives you a new nature. With this new nature comes all these new passions and these new desires that you never had before. Desires like pursuing God, coming to church, being around God's people, uh, learning the word of God, applying the word of God, just pursuing Christ. You didn't want any of those things before you came to faith in Jesus Christ. And when he creates you anew, he puts those desires and passions in you. Here's the problem. Now, though, you have all these new desires and passions for God, but there are still remnants of the old nature that still remain with passions and desires that have nothing to do with God. And so what he says is you now have this struggle going on in you with remnants of who you used to be and now with who you are now. And it's not only your new nature, but you have the Holy Spirit inside of you that's leading you to want to do the will of God. Are you with me? If you're a believer in Christ, I want to do the will of God. I want to do what he calls me to do. I want to pursue him. I want to know him. At the same exact time, you've got parts of the old flesh that's sitting there and going, you're making this really hard for me to do. Because there are passions that still are very much like when I, I, before I came to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and so he says, here is the struggle in every single believer. Now, sometimes it's not very evident. We're just going through our lives. We're not really thinking about a war waging within us. But sometimes, you know as well as I do, sometimes in our Christian life we come to a point where it feels like World War III is going off inside of us where we genuinely sit there and go, God, I know you're calling me to something. I know you want something for me, but your flesh keeps getting in the way and it keeps dragging you in the opposite direction. He says these two things are absolutely opposed to each other. If you're a believer in Christ, you know this fight. You know what it's like to have it, but you're not alone because every believer experiences that, even the Apostle Paul. Here's what Paul wrote. Paul said in Romans 7, 15, It says, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. Those are the remnants of the old nature he's referring to. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in the flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. He says, for I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, I'm not suggesting that for an unbeliever, somebody who hasn't come to faith in Christ, that they don't experience moral dilemmas. They do. Uh, They have a conscience, and sometimes they struggle. Should I do what's right? Should I do what's wrong? There's a struggle in between the two. Uh, But the bottom line is, it's not nearly as intense of the struggle that goes on with a believer in Jesus Christ. Because it's not just their conscience that wrestles with them, but now they have a whole new spirit of God that dwells with them, that wants things that they had never desired and never had passion to do before, plus the residing presence of the Holy Spirit who keeps leading them in the direction, that same direction, and yet that old flesh, that old man, the Bible says, is constantly pulling us back with the same fleshly desires that we had. Now I'm not, let, let me say this, sometimes when somebody comes to faith in Christ, and I've heard testimonies from some of you, God radically saves you to the point that a lot of those really uh, 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 tough sins that you, were, that you were committing, God took that away from you. Uh, uh, there's people right here who were drug addicts and alcoholics, and when they got saved, God naturally took, instantly, miraculously took those desires away, but... For many of us, many of those same desires and fleshly desires uh, uh, still remain. Would you agree with that? And there's a fight within us, he says, and they're going to keep going back and forth. It's so strong that sometimes new believers begin to doubt whether they're even born again or not. Because when they get saved, all of a sudden it's so fresh and it's so new. I love new believers, right? Have you ever been around them? You're around them you, you need to get around them because they're excited about everything. You're like, here's a Bible, bro. I just thought you might need it. A Bible? This is for me? You gave me a Bible? This is awesome. And you're like, yeah, I've got like 15 of them. I don't know what to do with them at home. And you've got a whole, a whole thing. You say, here's your Bible. And they open it up and they're excited. And here's what they're doing. There's all these new desires and new passions inside of their heart for God that they never experienced before. And it's so great that much of those fleshly desires kind of fall by the wayside for a while until they begin to just kind of live for a little while. And as they live, all of a sudden, those things oftentimes come rushing back. And there can be such a great struggle within them that they actually even begin to doubt whether they're saved. You ever come there where you're like, God, I'm saved. I'm born again. You said that you've changed me. But why am I still struggling with this same sin that I've struggled with for all of my life? Even since the time before I came to faith in Christ, why am I still struggling with it? So here's the bad news. I think Paul's giving this to this because he's saying, hey, if you want to live your life in in loving service to other people, which is a demonstration of true freedom in Jesus Christ, he says, then you're going to have to live by the Spirit. But here's going to be the struggle. There's a struggle within you. You've got this new nature and you've got remnants of the old nature that are going to constantly bombard you. So, what he's saying is hey, you need to remember that there's still something wrong in you. Still something wrong in you. Now, I know some of you are amazing believers in Jesus Christ, godly men and, and women, and some of you are like, dude, I'm so close to being like Jesus. No, you're not. You are way far away from being like Jesus. You are not near what you used to be, but you've got an immensely long way to go. In fact, what I find in my relationship with Christ is I can look back and see, wow, God's taken me a long way. And then I look to the future and I'm like, I feel like I'm going backwards. I, I look to his holiness, and I don't think I'm getting closer. The more I see his holiness, the more like I, I feel like I'm falling away. And so the bad news is, is, hey, we haven't arrived. Here's the good news. The good news that some of you just need to be able to hear is that you're not alone in the struggle in the flesh. That you're not alone. Even the Apostle Paul was struggling with it, and here's why that is good. I am not so much concerned with believers of Jesus Christ who are struggling to do what they truly want to do in trying to fight against the flesh. I'm not so concerned for them. I've had people come into my office and go, bro, I'm really struggling. And I'm like, great. That is so good. You can tell I'm a good counselor. I'm so good that you're struggling. And they go, how can you be so happy that I'm struggling? I go, if you weren't struggling, I'd worry. The fact that you are struggling shows that you not only have a new nature, but the Holy Spirit is in you, convicting you, leading you to the things of God and away from the things of the flesh. And so he tells us, he says, look, there's a, there's a, there's a, um, a battle that goes on within us, a struggle within us. But then he also says there's a change within us. There's a change within us. Look at verse 18. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, he says, First he says walk by the Spirit. Now he's saying led by the Spirit. Is there a difference? Some commentators and preachers say that there is and they try to distinguish it. I'm just going to say there's not probably a big difference. I think walking by the Spirit and being led by the Spirit is just submitting ourselves fully to the leadership of the Holy Spirit unto godliness. That's basically uh, what it means. And so we walk by the Spirit when we don't fall to the flesh but we submit to the Spirit. Make sense? Okay, we got that? But then notice the second part. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, here's how some have interpreted this, and wrongly, by the way. What they would say is, hey, man, once we get the Spirit, we're really in no need of God's law at all anymore, at all. We don't need his law, which ultimately, if it keeps getting pushed, it means we don't need the instructions from the word of God. In fact, I've seen some people who have actually talked as though they don't need the word of God as, at all. Here's how my conversations have been. I'll, I'll talk with somebody and go, hey, where do you go to church? Great. That's a, that's a great thing. So what are you guys doing for discipleship? And I ask those questions because I'm interested in what other people are doing uh, to see if we need to correct things that we're doing here. Please don't yell out your corrections. I know we have them. I know we need them. But uh, what they'll say is they'll go, hey, man, that's really great. And I'm like, well, you have any kind of Discipleship, or are you are you trying to teach people like how to study the word, know the word, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, interpret the word, and they go, "Well, bro, you know, we um, we're not so much word people." And he goes, "We're more spirit people." Uh, so you can kind of like you can kind of take your like highfalutin uh, 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 doctrinal studies and theologies and, and all your you know Bible study expository preaching stuff because we have the Holy Spirit. We're led by the Holy Spirit. You be led by the Word, and and so. I want to let you know, don't ever say that. That is a horrible thing to be able to say. Because how do you separate one from the other? Uh, the Holy Spirit wrote the Word of God. He moved on men to write the very words of God. He secured the Word of God for all of these years so that it was, it, the, the canon was completed. And now when the Word of God is preached, he accompanies the preaching and the reading of the Word of God and uses it to change you. So so we're not going to, how do you separate the two? You you ought not to separate the two. And so uh, here's what the difficulty is. If you sit back and you go, hey, I'm really not going to use the word to determine how to live unto God. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to be led by the spirit. It sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? I mean, it really sounds spiritual, but it's immensely dangerous. Here's why. Because of that old remnant of that old self that still resides in you. Uh, because you and I are still struggling against the flesh, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I can't tell the difference when I want something, if it's the spirit leading me or if it's my flesh leading me. Now, now sometimes it's really, really evident. Would you, like, when, when things get to get a little bit financially tough, at the beginning of the year, we, we're, like, hemorrhaging money. Anybody, you know, everybody wants their money in the beginning of the year. You're hemorrhaging money, and all of a sudden you see a bank, and when I have that inkling to go in and rob that bank... I I, I sit back and go, I don't think that's the Holy Spirit. I think that's the flesh. That's going to be a bad thing. But there are many other times in my life that there are things I want so much that I begin to actually, my flesh sounds so good and so right that actually begins to trick me into do what is wrong rather than what is right. And the only way I know, whether it's the Holy Spirit or my flesh, is to Compare it to the objective truth of the word of God. Hey, you want to be led by the spirit? That's great. Check it against the word of God. So this isn't what he means. He, he doesn't mean there, hey, because since you have the Holy Spirit, you don't need the law anymore. You don't need the word anymore. Uh, what he's in essence saying, here's what I think he's doing. He's telling us that our relationship with the law now has changed. We've already seen that for one thing. That is that we're no longer under condemnation of the law because we're not trying to use it to make us right unto God, okay? So we're not under the condemnation. But here's something else. Our relationship has also changed in the way that we view the law. Before we came to faith in Jesus Christ, how was the law meant to be used in our lives? As a tutor, right? It wasn't meant for you to look at the law and go, hey, I think I can do this. Because we go and try to do it, and what happens? We're like, "I I can't do this. But what does the law do? The law acts as a tutor by exposing the sin that is within us to show us that we need grace, that we can't obey God. It's the point. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 7. If it had not been for the law, I would have not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of of covetousness here's what he's saying he goes bro he goes i didn't know that i was coveting until somebody kept the law came and said don't covet then all of a sudden i looked around and i was coveting everything it's kind of like the the sign that says do not walk on grass right I really don't even know that I have a passion or desire to walk on any grass. It sounds a little itchy to me. Don't really want to go into it until I see the sign that says don't walk on grass. And then what do I want to do, I want to wallow in it. That's what I want to do. I want to step on it, jump on it, pull it out. I want to do whatever I can. What is it? Is it causing me to sin? No, here's what it does. It reveals and it provokes sin in us to the point where it stirs us to show us that indeed we are struggling with this sin. And so what Paul says is he says, that's your relationship to the law before But that's not how the relationship to God's word and law and commands are with you anymore, right? Uh, What's our relationship now? We go from hating something to now loving it and now pursuing it. Uh, Look, why did we hate it before? Because it kept telling us that we were guilty. How annoying is it to be around people that constantly tell you that you're wrong? right? And it's nonstop, hey, you're guilty, you're doing what is wrong. Unfortunately, you know that you are wrong as well. If you have friends that are are, are, are drifting from the Lord and they're doing what is wrong, they probably don't want to be with you. They probably don't want to hang around you. Why? Because every time they're with you, you are a reminder of what is true, and they don't want to be around what is true. So before we come to faith in Christ, we don't want to be around the word of God or the law of God, because all it tells us is how bad we are. When we get saved, and we're delivered from the condemnation of the law, and we're no longer under it, all of a sudden, it doesn't bring us condemnation. It, it, why? Because we're not using it to be made right before God. We're using it to show what life looks like lived unto God. We're not doing it for salvation. We're doing it from salvation. We're sitting there going, hey, I want to know your law. This is why, this is why uh, the author, the, the psalmist comes up, and, and from hating the law, he then says, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. How does a person go from hating and despising the law because of its condemnation to now finding it as more valuable than gold itself? It's because of the change that the Holy Spirit brings in a life of a person who is no longer trying to use the law to be accepted by God, but now is being using the law to demonstrate us what it looks like to submit to the Spirit of God. All right. Two things. I, I could tell you guys are really into this. Great. All right, let's look at the third thing. Third thing is the evidence within us. This is going to be really quick, and then we're going to hit the quick application. Number three, the evidence within us. Uh, in the verses that follow, here's what he's going to do. So, so track with me what he's done so far. He goes, hey, living a life of freedom from the law does not result in you being more legalistic and being more sinful. What it results in is when you understand you're free from the law, you are now free to not, no longer live for your own selfish gain, but to live love and serving other people. In order to do it, you're going to have to learn to walk by the Spirit. You cannot walk by the flesh. You get that? You can't serve other people and walk by the flesh, because the flesh is always going to want its own, not care for other people. So you've got to be led by the Spirit. He goes, here's the problem. It's going to be difficult, because there's going to be a fight that's going on within you. But here's the good news. This is what he means by the second point. The good news is, is that God has changed your wanter. You may feel those desires to be able to go back to that old life, but the greatest desires and passions that rest within you are not for the sin. They are for Christ. So there's the good thing, the work of the Holy Spirit that he's done. Now we get to this third part, and then what he's going to tell us now is what it looks like, the evidence of what it looks like when we're either walking in the flesh or we're walking by the Spirit. So look what he says in verse 19. Now the words of the flesh are evident, idolatry, uh, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things of these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not Inherit the kingdom of God. Now, here's what he means. You just read that and you can go, yeah, fits of anger, probably wrong. Rivalries, yeah, probably wrong. Strife, mm, yeah, probably wrong. It doesn't take a genius to understand that these things are contrary to God, right? And opposition to God. So that means that they are things of the flesh. And so what he says is, he says, now if you continue in these things, he goes, you you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let me explain this. This doesn't mean that if you're a Christian and all of a sudden you have a temper tantrum and a fit of anger, that all of a sudden it demonstrates that you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. That just means that we're living by the flesh and not by the spirit. It's gonna happen for the rest of our life until we're glorified. What he's ultimately saying instead is this, is that if your life is defined by these things, that if somebody were to sum up your life and they were to sum it up as a fit of anger and rage, he says, then it is clear that you are, no, you are not in Christ, that you've never truly been born again. Do we have fits of it? Yes. Do we have times that we do it? Yes. But can it be, does, does it end up identifying what our whole life is about? No. Now, that's what it looks like, he says, when you're walking by the flesh. Now, look what it looks like when we are walking by the Spirit. Very quickly, he just says, we begin to produce, he calls them the fruit of the Spirit. He says that we produce what in our lives? You'll see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, uh, faithfulness, and self-control. These are the things that you'll begin to produce. Now, why does he call it the fruit of the Spirit? Because what he wants us to know is that it's not you and I that are producing these things out of our own works. He goes, this is what the Holy Spirit is doing when you are submitting yourself to him. When you submit yourself to him, what you begin to do is you begin to blossom in love. You begin to blossom in care for one another, in joy and in peace. You're not working at it. I've never met somebody and go, hey, do you have joy? Yeah, but I've been working real hard for it, man. Real hard been the hardest joy i've ever come about no it it, it just it's it's produced and he says when you're walking with the spirit and you're submitting to the spirit the byproduct of you walking in there is you're going to be a loving person. You're going to love your wife, love your neighbor. You're going to want to serve them. That's how you know that you're walking. Now, here's where I think that we are. I think we're at this point going, okay, great. So we need to walk by the Spirit. And you're thinking to yourself, I kind of know what it is. It means full submission to to Jesus Christ and the leading of the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to do it every minute of every day. I get it. I understand it's going to be hard because we have this struggle within us. Are y'all following me we, we got the struggle within us i understand that it's good though because uh what i desire now in christ is greater than that old flesh so praise god for that and now i even see it has a way of me determining whether i'm in the flesh or i'm walking in the spirit that's great but when we get to the end of this aren't you still kind of asking the question that i ask so how exactly do we walk in the spirit again how exactly do we do this so if i were to end here and just be able to go hey you guys walk in the spirit amen go your way what would you do now, here's, here's what I would say. The first thing that I would bring up that I want you to know is that walking in the Spirit is not inactive, it's active. Walking is active, not inactive. You are actually doing something when you are walking in the Spirit. Why is that important for me to point out? Because for whatever reason, whenever you begin to talk to the Holy Spirit about the Holy Spirit to people, people begin to think of the Holy Spirit as just doing stuff to us uh, with us not being involved at all. Have you ever heard somebody say, hey, just let go and let God? I mean, just like, oh, and like God. I don't even know what that means, to be honest with you. Now, I mean, I mean, is it, is it, what do I do? Just bring your junk to God, man, and give it to him. There you go. I don't know what that means. Now, now, if it means, ultimately, that what I'm doing is I'm, I'm no longer seeking my way, but I'm now seeking God's way and allow him to be Lord of my life, that fits with this. But, but if it means, hey, you just kind of sit back, bro. You're doing too much. You don't do anything at all. All you do is sit back and you say, come on, Holy Spirit. Come on, Holy Spirit. And you just wait for the Holy Spirit to come on you. That's not what it means to walk in the Spirit but it's many times what people often think of uh, when they do it. And so, so the idea is, what, what does it do? It takes action on your part and, I'm, uh, and my part to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. There is something that you have to do. Now, I'm gonna give you a little bit of list because I'm a legalist and give you a little bit of list, but I'm not a legalist. Here's why, because the list is given to us found in the word of God. Okay, so here's what happens. You say, so we have to do something for the Holy Spirit to work in us. Uh, The reformers called it the means of grace. These are the biblical disciplines that God has given us to be able to work out his grace in our life and to transform and to change us. Make sense? Not really. Okay, two of you, that's enough. That was more than I thought it was gonna happen. And so, so let me give you a couple. Number one, recognize, recognize. Okay, recognize that we are fully dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Um, John 15 5 says I am the vine you are the branches Uh, whoever abides in me and I in him he is he is that bears uh, he he is oh excuse me I can't read he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing so it begins with us already going hey God I want to live this life of love for my wife I want to live out this life for my kids I want to live out this life for the people around me for the people in the church that you've given me but God I cannot do it there's too much flesh I can't do it. I've tried to do it. How many of you men have actually tried to die to self and love your wife as Christ loves the church? Hard to do, is it not? It's hard to do. By the flesh, I can't do it. So what are we doing from the beginning? We're just recognizing I can't do what it is that you are calling apart from the Holy Spirit. I genuinely need you. You're, you're, you're desperate in that. And why is that important? Because the Bible says that God gives grace to the humble, but he rejects the proud. When you come to him and you go, God, I can't do this without you, that's demonstrating a humility, not pride. Hey, God, I got this. Hey, just step aside. That's, that's not where we begin. We begin by recognizing. Number two, we continue with prayer. What do we pray about? How about this? God, give me a burning passion for you. Give me an undaunting desire to pursue you, to know you, to follow you. When's the last time you prayed that? Instead we complain, I'm not doing these things. Our prayer begins as God, I can't do it without you. Now God, I'm asking you in the name of Jesus, I want to walk according to the spirit. Change me. I'll allow the things of God to be infinitely greater and grand and sweet than the things of my flesh so that I just want to obey you. I want to be able to follow after you. The scriptures say in 1 John 5, 14, uh, excuse me, in 14, 15, he says, and this is the confidence that we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the, requ- th- that the request that we, uh, that we have asked of him. So what he's saying is if you ask anything of me according to my will i'm going to give it to you well what is the bible already told us to do to walk in the spirit so when we come to him and say god we want to walk in the spirit change us transform us empower us to be able to do it what is god saying we have the confidence that god will do what we're asking him to do because we're asking according to his will and so you sit there and go yeah but i've done that can't tell you how many times i've heard this I'll begin, and somebody goes, "Bro, I'm really struggling with this sin, or I'm really struggling with this pattern of life that I know that is not consistent with God." I go, "Have you prayed about it? Yeah, man, all the time. I told God to st- take it out of my life, do whatever." Here's here's why it's important. I, I tell them, "Hey, look, prayer is essential, but it's not sufficient. It's essential, but it's not sufficient." meaning that there's something else left for you to do other than be dependent upon him, say I'm dependent upon him, and pray. There's other things that you have to do, other, other spiritual disciplines that you have to take part in other than prayer. What is it? Number uh, Next one is flee. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. So flee uh, youthful, uh, youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Uh, part of fleeing is being wise enough to be able to put up boundaries in our lives. Right Uh, For for you and I to be able to sit there. Now, in every one of us, there are certain areas of sin that we struggle with. Would you agree? Your struggle may not be my struggle. My struggle may not be your struggle. There are things that you can do I can't do. Because if I go down that path, I open up a whole door to a place that I don't want to go. Are you with me? And, And so what do you do? So for me, and it's not legalistic because I'm not... But putting up these boundaries so that God will love me more I'm putting up these boundaries because I know every time I go down this path it's going to end ugly I'm going to fall to that sin so what do you do in the meantime don't put yourself in a place where you're going to get into that sin it's like a young man that comes he goes hey bro uh, I'm engaged with my fiance but we just keep going too far I'm like well do you go over to her house yeah and I go yeah don't do that He goes, yeah, but I I go, here's what you're saying in your head. Every time you say that I'm going to go too far, but yet you go over to your fiance's house when nobody else is there, do you think that's wise? And he goes, no. I go, does it ever work out for you? No. Does it always end the same way? Yes. I said, then put up a barrier that you say, I can't do this. I can't go over here. And so we have to be able to put up these boundaries. But here's the key to the boundaries. These boundaries can't become legalistic to us. They can't be that we begin to go, hey, I'm not going here doing this and doing the other thing, so God and I are correct and we're okay. We don't want it to become that. Nor do we want to be able to take those boundaries and place it on somebody else as really a determination of whether they love Jesus or not, or whether they're walking in obedience or not. We can't place that on anybody else. We put the boundaries around us. Why? Because we're striving against sin. It's a part of what Paul says in Romans 9, 27 when he says, but I discipline my body to keep it under control. Are you disciplining yourself? I don't know about you, but when on the rare occasion that I decide to get in shape, rare, rare occasion, uh, it's, there's nothing fun about it. Everything in my body hurts, it aches, it struggles. Uh, when we sit there and you have a son that runs like a thousand miles a week and he's like, hey, you're getting kind of heavy there, buddy. And uh, I try not to be in the flesh and kill him And so at that, I got to be in the spirit. But what do I have to do? It's literally painful, that discipline that you have to be able to put upon yourself. You've got to feel that pain. You will feel that detox in your life as you're putting up those boundaries in your life to keep you from going where you don't need to go. And and, and I love what Paul says, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, verse four, when he says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet come to resist to the point of shedding blood. So we have these barriers. We flee from that sin. Let me give you just two more very quickly. Uh, the next is to saturate. So it's, it's one thing uh, to, to get that junk out of your life. And here's why it's important. You do realize that probably 99% of everything that comes into our life, everything that we hear on television, everything that we hear on the radio, everything that we're hearing in discussions around us, everything uh, that comes from the news, everything that comes from uh, the world in advertising is doing nothing but feeding the flesh. You, you got that, right? It's feeding the flesh, it's not feeding the spirit. So we've got to, we have no hope to walk in the spirit if we're constantly feeding the flesh. In fact, he even says that in verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The verb tense there means that they put it to death, but they're continuing to put it to death day after day after day after day. How do you do it? Starve it. But on the other side, you have to feed the spirit. Uh, How in the world are we gonna walk by the spirit Submit to the Spirit if we are not in his word. If once a week we come to the house of God, we hear one sermon, and yet the whole world is bombarding feeding our flesh, how in the world do we think? No wonder we don't have more success in the pursuit of Christ and walking in the Spirit. We're overwhelmed by it. And though you can't take everything of the world out, it's like an old preacher said one time, he goes, hey man, birds may fly over my head, but I don't stick around to allow them to build a nest in my hair. In other words, yeah, there may be sin there, but I'm not gonna go ahead and put myself in a place where where they're gonna feel at home. That sin's gonna be at home with me. So what do you do? A couple of things. So you have to saturate your mind. Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. What are the things of the Spirit? The Word of God. The Word of God. Uh, Let me encourage this because it seems so basic, and I'm I'm, I'm trying to be basic. You will never walk in the Spirit of God apart from the Word of God. You'll never. And I understand that there are men who sit back and they go, well, bro, I just just don't understand it. I just haven't gotten it. Men, you are quite the quandary, and here's why I say that because you will study six hours on how to fix a toilet you're amazing you'll sit there and go hey I gotta fix this don't know how to fix it you will youtube it you will go down to lowe's you will do everything you can until you accomplish the toilet and then you will call all the family in and when you fixed it you will flush it and go ta-da and expect them to think you're great and rise up and call you blessed right that's how we do and in our house if a toilet's fixed we do rise up and call my wife blessed because she fixes it. And so we, we have that. Look, look, but here's the deal. But yet, men, why oftentimes, and I know women are doing the same, why oftentimes are you think, wh- what in you thinks it's okay for you to be able to sit back and go, man, it's just hard for me. I just don't want to do it. What is it that's keeping you? It's your flesh that's keeping you from jumping in. It's your flesh from not learning each and every day it's your look it's it's around it's everywhere all you have to do while driving to work is get an app on your phone Get your 16-year-old child to be able to teach you how to do it. They'll even push the button for you before you drive off and the word of God will be playing. Sermons will be playing. Good godly men who are teaching uh, the word of God uh, that you'll be able to just sit under it. Uh, uh, Come, uh, make church not uh, something that you do on occasion and go, hey, look, it's been five weeks, let's go. Go every week and be with the corporate body of Christ listening and growing and keeping some accountability to one another. Uh, Be in a small group that isn't just simply about fellowship 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 is great it's wonderful we need that fellowship praise god for it but it needs to be fellowship based around what the teaching and the saturation of the word of god if we don't saturate ourselves in the word of god how is it that we know the will of the father how is it that we are sensitive to the things of the spirit we 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 simply can't and then finally uh we need to do this Uh, we need to confess we need to confess um, each day, uh, what, let me tell you what I mean by confess. Uh, I don't mean this. I don't mean the prayer that we often pray that sounds completely ridiculous, all right? Uh, the, the prayer that we pray when we get together and say, Lord, if there be any way that we failed you today, we ask that you will forgive us all. Let me just kind of give you a hint. You've done many things that have displeased him through the day. There's not a possibility that you and I have not done something that has been displeasing to God. So we don't have to say if there is something we have done. There has been plenty that we have done. Uh, instead, what we need is we need the spiritual discipline for you and I to be sensitive as, as, the, as we're praying, as we're seeking the Holy Spirit, as we're praying in the Word, then all of a sudden we become, we have this unique sensitivity to the Spirit's conviction, don't we? Uh, and, and when we do something wrong, uh, all of a sudden, we, 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 we need to deal with it then. We need to sit back and go, "God, I, I shouldn't have talked to my wife that way. I, I shouldn't have kicked my neighbor 's dog. I, I shouldn't have done well I shouldn't have done any of those things. God forgive me in the moment. You don't wait for the end of the day to be able to call, "Hey, if I did anything that was wrong, no, you walk in sensitivity, because what it allows you to do is it shores up not your relationship with God, but your fellowship with God and then you continue to walk in the Spirit because you have every sin confessed up to date. There was a great woman missionary by the name of Bertha Smith, and, and godly men would come around her, and they go, bro, it's the closest I've ever experienced what heaven must be like to be in the presence of God. She was just so godly. And in her book, Filled with the Spirit, she basically says, people would come to ask her and said, what is it, What was your secret for, for you being, when walking in the Spirit? She goes, it's simple, I just confess every sin up to date. I don't wait for a day, I don't wait for a week. In fact, what I find is, if it takes me longer than a day to actually begin to confess my sin, what it demonstrates is I've been walking in the flesh, not in the spirit. But when I am so sensitive to the small little, the the whispers of the Holy Spirit of what I've done is wrong or what I'm doing is right, when I have the, my sins have to be confessed up to date and when they do, I hear the Holy Spirit daily and I can move according to what he's calling me to do. And so what does all of this mean? Where do we go with this? Is, Look, here's a list of just spiritual uh, uh, disciplines that we can use. God doesn't love you more if you do them. Uh, We're doing it because we know that God loves us. But I'm telling you, I don't believe there's any way to walk by the Spirit without doing the things that have just been listed. I don't think there's any possible way to be able to do it. So we have this thing. We came in and we go, hey, bro, I wanna walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. And then we sit there and go, but are we willing to do what what we need to do to submit ourselves to the leadership of the Holy Spirit? And that's in the list that we have just ultimately given here. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you. We love you. You are worthy of all praise. God, here's a list of things that we need to do not to be accepted by you, but because we've been accepted by you. God, if we're going to love each other, and here's the big problem. If we're going to love each other the way that you've called us to love you and to love each other and to serve each other, Lord, we can't keep living according to the flesh. we to submit ourselves to you in each and every way. God, lead us to show us the way to be able to do that. God, we know that it takes part of recognizing that we need you. Let some right now, even now, go, God, I need you. I can't overcome this sin and this attitude without you. God, let them say it within their prayer knowing that you'll hear them. God, let them already begin to think of ways that they can block out and put barriers up that will save them from the sin, uh, that they they keep going down the same thing. Help them to take those approaches. God, give, I'm praying in the name of Jesus, give our church a heart and dying passion for the word of God. To want to be in it to want to revel in it to want to know it to want to love it god give that to them and finally lord let us end with confessing lord you say if we confess our sins you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness which is the beginning of what it takes for us to walk in the spirit we love you dear jesus god we do all of this all in light of what you've done for us on the cross we We have earned none of it. We deserve none of it. But you've made it possible by your grace and your mercy. Let us respond to that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and let's respond. I'll be down here if you want to pray. Uh, If you want to come and pray with me, uh, please come at this time. But let's just do business with the Lord.